right? So the, the, the thing that we say to our kids all the time, I said it last night, I said, I don't care what, how much money you guys ever make or what, what you do. The only thing I won't tolerate is you not being entirely sold out passionate about the thing that you pick. And if that takes 10, you know, going through 10 doors, that's fine. I'll be there and, and, and I'll see, I'll look at it all, see it all, hear it all, whatever. But, um, the only thing I care about is that you're passionate about what you do. And I don't give a rat's ass how much money you make doing it. Because if you're passionate and you're great, get great at something, money will find you always. Welcome back to the RO Podcast. Hey, it's your good friend, Joey Odom, your old buddy, co-founder of RO. Hey, we have a doozy today. We have a living legend on the show, Ryan Tedder. I will tell you a little bit about that in just a second. But first, will you do us a huge, huge, huge favor? Will you press pause and will you give us five stars on the RO Podcast? If you're on Apple Podcasts, it's super easy. On Spotify, you may have to listen to an episode or two first, but please do give us a five-star rating. We want to bring you the best content to help you live out an intentional life, the best guests, and ratings go a long way towards that. So will you give us five stars really quickly? I would love and appreciate that so much. Next, we were surprised a couple weeks ago, someone sent to us, several people sent to us a YouTube video from an account called But First Coffee. It's run by a woman named Callie. And we had no idea this was coming and she had ordered RO and then she did a 15 minute review of it. She has uh, over a million followers on YouTube. It was shocking to us and we get, you know, admittedly a little bit nervous when we see those reviews we don't know are coming, but she had a line in there. She was effusive in her praise of RO and she had a line in there, but that I've been repeating again and again and again. She said, the silly little box has literally changed my life. What a review. We're going to link to that review in the show notes here if you want to go check that out and go follow Callie on YouTube, follow her also on Instagram. And if you are interested in learning more about this silly little box, please just go to goro.com. Follow us on Instagram at goro now. We would love it if you would say the same thing that this silly little box has changed your life. We all know what happens when you change your relationship with your phone, you change your relationship with everyone around you. Now, today's show, like I said, living legend Ryan Tedder, you have heard probably today a song that Ryan Tedder has either written, produced, or sung. He's a lead singer of One Republic. He is a super good guy, very, very funny, super engaging. And this conversation went a direction I'd hoped it would, and it definitely did. And it really went to his story. It went back to a theme of parenting and what, when you see an interest your child has at a young age, obviously his was music. What do you do as a parent to help develop that? And what's neat about Ryan's is he was just able to be a kid. Now this was the eighties. And so we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have iPads. So he was able to explore the world around him, seek boredom and find out the creative things that come from that. And then it goes from there into his ascent in the music world. And by the way, Ryan has three Grammys, 90 billion streams, just Google real quick, you know, Google songs Ryan Tedder has written. You'll be shocked by how many of these songs that you know and how many are such huge hits. But when we talk about his rise in the music industry and what happens when you have a goal and have determination, he talks about how he loves failure, how he was learn- he has learned to love failure. And I love this line that he said. He said, I don't believe 
in plan B's. So when he had a goal, he knew he was going to go get it. He knew he was going to go manifest that. And then at the very end, the last 10 minutes or so, we talk about he and his wife's philosophy on technology for their kids, their 13-year-old and their nine-year-old. This was so enlightening to me, the way they approach it, their view on that. You're absolutely going to love this. So this was a story of success. This is a story of failure. This is a story of ascent. This is a story of parenting. I think no matter where you are in the continuum, maybe you're just a fan of one Republican Ryan Tedder's work, no matter where you sit, you are going to love this episode. For now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy my great conversation with Ryan Tedder. Gang, this guy has ascended from the halls of Timco Barton to the halls of the greatest music venues across the world. He had the bravery to walk away from a promising career and benefits at Pottery Barn to pursue music because this Jinx Trojan refused to waste any of his talent. And you know what they say about kids from Oklahoma, man, they don't waste it. Early on, he made MySpace his space, and today he's been accused of making TikToks like a dad, which makes sense because he's he's the father of this generation's biggest hits, writing for all of the stars on the planet, including Bono, Sirs Paul, and Elton, Queen Bee, and even Travis Kelsey's girlfriend. When he's not playing pickup basketball in cargo shorts, he's picking up Grammys. In fact, he has 90 billion streams, three Grammys, two sons, and one ORU A-League Intramural Soccer Championship ring that he wears everywhere he goes. If you think he looks like an angel, that's because you can see his halo. If you're feeling concerned, he ain't worried about it. And if you're regretful, bad news, it's too late to apologize And if you're quantifying celebrities, I'm counting one star right now. He's called himself the tortoise, not the hare, but I call him the tortoise with great hair. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the RO Podcast, Mr. Ryan Tedder. Quite the intro. (laughs) We think. Yeah, love it. Love it, man. This is the Halls of Tim Cobarton. I was was there last week. I was there last week. Were you really? <laughs> in the halls of Tim Barton. I popped into the campus for like 30 minutes just to nose around and, and crept into the piano rooms. And uh, wow. it's identical. It's, it's good to see that I <laughs> I don't think they've done anything to it. They haven't changed a bit. <laughs> I, gotta admit, a bit. I, got, I got a little bit of help from our friends, uh, Dave and Adam, on, on some of those factoids there. So uh, do you still play? Adam wants to know, do you still play pickup basketball in cargo shorts? Man, I don't. I sadly have not owned cargo shorts. My wife made me retire those around, I want to say 2008, 07, 08. There you go. Now I yeah. get it. Well, no one bald like you, like that. You're a great athlete. People know you musically, but you are a great athlete, and thus the thus Thank the A League Intramural Championship in soccer. So, just quick to start off, Ryan, when you were playing at Jason Shepard's home in Sun Meadow. <laughs> Did you think you would ever make it to the RO podcast? Did you think? <laughs> I don't know how you pulled that one. That's insane. That's not even – that's like beyond Wikipedia, Jason That's Shepherd. pretty good. Oh, of course. Oh, that's well beyond Wikipedia. Well, I went wow. to the dark web for that. No, that was dark God, web knowledge. Man. Yeah, that's that's some North Korea uh, info. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, 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 I ruminated on the possibilities sure. and I yeah. definitely yeah. – um, let's just say that I've been quietly manifesting since 87. <laughs> 
Well, you had dreams. No, I appreciate yeah. that quietly <laughs> yeah. manifesting. I love it. So I, I wanted I want to talk for thank you for joining us. I want to talk about your story. Uh, we have a lot of parents, a lot of people with high aspirations who listen. And so I was as I thought through your story, um, I want to think through the the you know the fact that you had a goal, the adversity you've overcome, which is a bunch, and what you do with your success. So so to start in the early years, you were. You were a great musician very early on. Will you talk a little bit about your relationship with music at a very, very young age? Um, yeah. So I was, I, I grew up around music. My dad was a musician and a gospel songwriter back in mm. the 70s and wrote a lot of like, um, you know, songs that were in that world uh, known and popular in the, I'd say, call it mid to late 70s. Um, so I grew up, my earliest memories having a grand piano in the house. Um, and I, I was like a lot of kids forced to take piano lessons from an early age, starting at age, I think three is when I started Mm -hmm. taking piano. And so it was just always a part of my daily repertoire. It was like, you know, soccer. I played all the sports and like every other kid in Oklahoma, um, there's not much to do. So like, you know, (laughs) you're gonna, you're gonna play all the sports, um, and a lot of the extracurricular activities were off the menu for me. So like partying and, you know, drinking and all that other stuff was just not on the menu because of, of how we were raised. And so I had, and I have no siblings. So I had unlimited time right. coupled with, um, you know, an innate love of music and, um, and honest to God, I was just telling my kid last night, I'm so glad I grew up without social media because I don't mm. think I'd be here. I mean, maybe I would have been here faster. That's to play devil's advocate mm. because m- my kids can already produce tracks and make beats and like do crazy stuff that I couldn't do. But I just think the flip side of that coin is the distraction, right? Yeah. Would I have, would I have actually developed into who I was? I was flat out bored. So <laughs> I was telling him, I was like, when I'd get home, I had two, th- I had three things to do, right? TV or watch one of the 20 movies we had again. Right. Um, and, and, uh, TV, which is usually hijacked by my parents. So that was off menu. Like that, that's number one. Number two, read a book. I loved reading, which mm-hmm. led to songwriting. Um, so I would, I would read, uh, a ton. And then number three was the piano in the living room, um, figure out another song. And so I would go through different phases of obsession with piano. And I really didn't get obsessed though till the lesson stopped and like we fired our piano teacher. I was just sick of having these people huh. learn this, do this, do that. And the moment we fired the last guy, um, I sat down by myself and started just picking out melodies and things that I wanted to hear. And then got a guitar, got a drum kit when I was 13, played drums for hours every day, and then got a guitar when I was 16, 17, um, taught myself guitar and then bass in college. Um, and then, uh, you know, to summarize it quick, cause I know we don't have much time. I, I basically, you know, I got a, a degree, I put in air quotes in um, <laughs> advertising and marketing and, 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 um, but I, in all reality, when I switched majors, my junior year, I was like, what, what would be, what will be the most cakewalk degree that I can get A's mm. like get good grades in. Right. So I have time to, I didn't, I didn't broadcast this, but like, so I have time to sneak into the piano rooms in Tim Kilbarton. Mm. Um, you have to be a piano major to use those rooms. I was never a piano major. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I put, spent more time in there than most piano majors. Um, yeah. but I uh, figure, you know, forgiveness is easier than permission, especially at, at the collegiate level. So I just would 
tape paper over the window so the teacher couldn't look in and see that I wasn't one of her students. And I would play, I probably did two to three hours a day. I'd say, I feel like four days a week, four or five days a week for Mm. the the majority of the four years that we were at college. So I put in, I put in, you know, just about as much time in the piano rooms writing as I did sitting in class. And that was, I just, I loved it. So that's it. That's kind of what led me to, to, to here. And I put in 10,000 hours by the time I graduated college, I right. easily clocked 10,000 auditioned for a show on MTV and made it. And that was kind of, that's it. I want to talk about the MTV show. Cause I'll tell a quick story on that, but real back to your parents, this, this sounded like this was very led by you. I think, I think when you see a lot of parents now, they're almost trying to impose a bunch on their kids and force them into something versus this is something you had. So what did your parents do along the way to help? And maybe for parents listening, when you see something, a particular interest in your kid, what, what is, what can they do to, to foster that? What did your parents do that helped kind of breathe that in, in, in you? If, if at all. It's funny. I, yeah, that's a funny question. Cause, um, I'm not, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. Um, <clears throat> aside it feels, from it the feels piano, like you're about to throw them under the bus. It feels like I'm about to throw them under the bus. <laughs> aside from the piano and the prerequisite piano lessons, I'd say that's what they did for me is they, they forced me to learn piano, uh, half the time against my will. You know, sometimes I'd liked it. Sometimes I didn't. The last thing you want to hear your kids say, well, it's funny. I would be stoked to hear my kids say this, but mm. what is, especially in Oklahoma, you have to understand context, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up in Los Angeles. My head was in LA from the time I was 10, but like I, I, I didn't grow up here. Yeah. And so with the way that I was wired and, you know, if I have any skill set outside of um, music, it's like reading, retaining data, information, statistics, and facts and figures and those kinds of things, and then arguing them. Like, and so like, I, it's my mom was like, he's going to be an attorney. He's going to mm. be an attorney. This kid can read a, read a book and then whip out, you know, uh, some type of random fact and win a case. She was already kind of in her mind mapping it out. Um, I had no interest in that. I, I really wanted to go into acting or music and acting funny enough was what I, my passion, what I thought I was going to do before music. And then it kind of, I realized one day that, um, actors for the most part don't write their own scripts and they're replaceable. Mm. And once I realized, Oh, I forget what movie it was, but it was a movie that was remade. And I was in love with the, the movie that had come out. And I was like, oh, this movie's incredible. Um, and then my dad was like, yeah, I remember the original one. And I was like, what? And I remember that light bulb went off and I went, wait a minute. So I'm obsessed with this movie. And I didn't even, this guy didn't exist, right? Yeah. Biggest actor in 1965 doesn't exist now, right? Doesn't exist. The whole cast doesn't exist. You know, it's like Ocean's Eleven is a great example, right? Oh, Ocean's Eleven is incredible. Brad Pitt and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's it's the Rat Pack. Like, it's a, right. it's a completely – it's a remake. So that really um, stymied my, like, uh, desire to go – to pursue acting. I was like, no, I want to write my own script. My parents didn't – they didn't discourage me, right? Yeah. The, um, my dad was for sure more into the idea because he was a, a songwriter at some point. And I would say they didn't squash it. So the best thing – the best thing that they did – was and I was like, hey, you're the one who forced me to play piano. Like, don't be, don't get sideways on me. This is, this was inevitable. Could have happened. If you remove the Tulsa component, yep. Midwest, and that's like, like for just parents in general. I think the biggest mistake parents can make is they look around their circle in mm. Minneapolis or you know Ogden, Utah, or Oregon or Maine, and they go, no, that's not what people here do. Like, like that's the odds are so. I don't want you. Parents just don't want their kids to fail. 
Yeah. Right. So the, the, the thing that we say to our kids all the time, I said it last night, I said, I don't care what, how much money you guys ever make or what, what you do. The only thing I won't tolerate is you not being entirely sold out passionate about mm. the thing that you pick. And if that takes 10, you know, going through 10 doors, that's fine. I'll be there and, and, and I'll see, I'll look at it all, see it all, hear it all, whatever. But, um, the only thing I care about is that you're passionate about what you do. And I don't give a rat's ass how much money you make doing yeah. it. Because if you're passionate and you're great, get great at something, money will find you always flat yeah. out. And that's like trash collecting, man. You know, you end up running waste management. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm so yeah. agnostic about or snobby about what you pick to do. I really don't care. Yeah. Well, I think again, that that's back to the, and again, I struggle with this with my two kids is, is this thing, it's almost imposing my stuff on them versus what do you love? And it's, that's a hard thing to get to one. You have to be a good listener to your kids to find out what they love and then support them in that. I love that. So, so for you, when you made that transition what, and you said, okay, I'm going to go after music. What did you set out? This may be an odd question. What did you set out to do? What at that moment you said, I'm going to go pursue music. This is what my goals are. This is what the greatest life looks like for me in music. There's a gap between, and I feel like this is always the case for the most part. Um, I'm a big believer in, in manifest destiny and manifesting things. Um, and I don't assign, I don't ascribe necessarily a spirit. I think there is a, can be a spiritual aspect to it, but I don't necessarily ascribe that to it. Um, there's a delta between um, what I will broadcast uh, about what I want to do and what in my mind is like, yes. but this would be cool too. Um, one thing that I've, that I've lived my life by, um, like religiously is very old adage, uh, or, or, you know, story, but, um, the whole boy who cried wolf thing. Yeah. Um, there was some point <clears throat> when I was a kid that I remember my mom chastising me about something. I was like, I forget what it was. I was probably eight or nine. And I was like, in some, you know, loop of, of, of talking about a certain thing. And I don't even remember the context that well, but I remember her saying, be careful. You don't want to be the boy who cried wolf. Mm. And I was like, what is that? And she explained that to me. It's like the guy who, the person who talks about something all the time, makes claims, uh, this happened, or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then it's all sizzle without the steak, as yeah. my stepdad would say, all sizzle, no steak. And and, you know, it's funny the things that trigger you as a kid, but that really triggered me. And I was like, well, I am not going to be that kid. Like, I was like, ooh, like, screw that person. I don't want to be that person. Like, I hate that characteristic. Um, as an adult, I hate that character. It's yeah. one of my handful of triggers, personality triggers, is, is somebody who talks a great game and then just doesn't follow it. Mm. So I determined from a young age, whatever I say, if I start talking about something, and anyone that ever was a roommate of mine or a friend of mine, I, like can say this to the day since the day they met me. If you hear him talking about something, it's not if it's when. Yeah. And so once I started saying I'm going into music, which was probably sophomore, sophomore, junior years when I really started to be a little more open about it. Once that happened, um, I knew it was going to happen. But I would say, because the safe thing to say is, I want to be a successful songwriter. That's a great. And by the way, great job if you can get it. Um, you're low key. You don't, nobody, you don't get stopped in Starbucks and noticed in, you know, uh, airports and hotels. And um, <clears throat> you can make really good money if you're great at it. 
And, and I also knew that that would take me to Los Angeles by way of Nashville. I was two years in Nashville and New York and then came to, to LA. So I would say that, you know, for me, it was, um, speaking it. That's what I would speak. Yeah. I would say, I want to be a songwriter. Little did everyone know, little did anyone, but the girls I was dating know, cause those are the only ones I would show, um, uh, that I was quietly, I could sing, I could sing my ass off. So I maintained that for a while. And I was happy to do just the songwriter thing and be a songwriter, producer, whatever. Mm. And I, by the way, I'd still be happy if that's the only thing yeah. that worked out. But when I was in Nashville and I saw that MTV audition thing, um, I was like, this is for a reason. I was working at Planet Hollywood and they're like, no employees are allowed to work. I was training. I was on my day three. No, and I saw the sign when I left. I go, what's that? I was like, the talent search, MTV, TRL. And a guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah we're hosting it Sunday. Um we're hosting it in four days, but like you're not allowed. No one that works here is allowed to be a um, to audition. And I looked at him. I go, "Why?" And he goes, "It's something about. It's just. Uh, it's complicated, but like you, mm. we're just. It's off limits." I go, "Dude, I'm sorry. I quit." Here's this my is the manager. Apron, yeah. He goes, "What?" I literally took the apron off and I go, "I quit." <laughs> and he was like, "What are you talking about?" And and I, and he was so pissed, man. Mm. I he, and I didn't even come back to pick up my check. I was just like, "I'm out." And then I entered on Sunday. I won. Ended up on TRL two weeks later, and that's when my parents mm. found out. My mom and dad did not know. My stepsister did not know. Wow. I didn't tell anyone that I was going to New York to be on TRL. I didn't tell my roommates. I didn't know if I was going to go back to college. Um, again, boy who cried wolf. I was not yeah. going to mm. – I was so committed to that lifestyle of – do what you say you're going to do yeah. or shut up. Yep. Like, and so I, I take it religiously. So for me, when I ended up on TV, my phone blew up later. My mom, like everyone going, what? You're in New York? Like they didn't even know I went to New York. I didn't tell anyone. It was just me. I don't even, I, I, I can't even. That's amazing. I think my, I think that's it. I, I, I don't even know who else I told. I just hopped on a plane, went to New York, did the thing. And then one. I notice my children in slow motion in real life. I feel like I'm really able to notice when the sunlight catches my daughter's eyelashes and her hair is glowing. Or if I'm watching my son play with his trucks and just the intensity in his eyes and the way his little hands work and watching his knuckles and like the tiniest little details. And I feel like I've been able to kind of catch a piece of my life in slow motion instead of just reviewing it on my phone at the end of the day, which is wonderful. I think that having a phone that can capture those moments truly in slow motion and be able to review them down the, you know, years down the road, but also in real time is just like I... I've literally got goosebumps all over me right now because it's, it's it, you know? We love hearing stories from the RO community. The one you just heard actually comes from our Voices of RO episodes where I sit down with RO members and they share about their stories and their lives with RO. Make sure to check out the Voices of RO episodes. And if you're a member who would like to share your own story with RO, please email us at stories at goro.com. So my, I remember my mom, I was at my friend's house. My mom called my friend's houses before cell phones. And she said, 
Ryan Tedder's on MTV right now. You have to turn it over there right now. And I turned over. And by the way, I know you disavow the song. I think that song's hot fire. I still love the look. <laughs> I, I honestly, like I watched that old clip from uh, this morning. I watched 2000, the look Lance Bass was there and, and Dave Holmes and pink and, and uh, Brian McKnight. I mean, what a great, and you, and you crushed it. And then I watched, I remember watching. So you think you can dance. Um, and then when someone is dancing and then apologize comes on and that was when it first hit the scene. But in between there, after you won the, after you won the TRL contest, you picked up by Columbia records and then you got dropped. And I'm curious about this moment of adversity because here you are manifesting all of these great things here. You are with a goal. You have certainty of where you're going, but then all, and then you're at the top of the world. And then all of a sudden your legs get cut out from under you. So I want to hear about that moment of how you overcame that adversity, knowing where your sights were set and then how you've translated that into other situations where you've had, where you face disappointment and where you're climbing up a hill and you have to overcome the disappointment, discouragement, adversity, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, quite simply put, um, I've never believed, I mean, another quote that I've been saying, not realizing that that I didn't make it up because I saw Schwarzenegger say it the other day on Instagram. Um, (laughs) But I've, since I was in high school, uh, I've said, I, you know, I don't believe in plan B's like Mm. it's plan A. And if plan A blows up in my face, I will pivot in real time, but I'm not going to sit around talking about plan B. I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, a Navy SEAL needing to figure out an alternate extraction point. You know what I mean? There, there are, there's a time and a place to have plan A, B and C. And I understand all that. Um, but as far as passion, it's like I knew I wanted to go into music, so there was no plan B. Mm. So, And any iteration of doing music professionally, I would have been happy with. Yeah. That's the truth. Mm. There was a point in 2006, this is after we got dropped, um, I'd just gotten married, and I went from you know, having a record deal and thinking things are going to blow up to getting dropped. Um, but they also dropped Katy Perry, Jonas Brothers all in the same month. Columbia wow. did. Great idea. Um, and so we all, yeah, great idea. It was a, a stellar year. Um, I played Coachella and found out I got dropped the next week. Mm. So, um, you know, and I had, uh, I had, I was finally making good money though, doing original songs from movies and TV. And I was, I was, I was just, I was, yes, I was Mr. Yes. Um, Say yes until you can afford to say no. Mm-hmm. And um, I was taking in all the work that I could and, and, and all of a sudden making like like a doctor's income in 2006 and, <laughs> and, and seven. And I say that to say that like as a songwriter, that's like a big W. That's a huge win if you can like, like do that at age in your – I mean I was in my mid-20s yep. um, and married. Not, and I, I was comfortable for the first time. I was like, ooh. Ooh, we could probably afford a house. Like we could probably get a more condo at the least. And, um, you know, ruminating on all those things. But at the same time, concurrently, when I got dropped, I thought, okay, I have the song apologize and I have the song stop and stare. And I think they're hits. Yep. I could be wrong. Hmm. I could be wrong, but there was this new thing that had come out that had just exploded called MySpace. And it was, you know, the precursor to obviously Facebook, um, uh, even though that was simul- concurrently, but uh, it was it blew up faster than it was TikTok. It's yeah. TikTok, right? Of 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 then of two thousand six seven, MySpace was TikTok, and so I said in, in, on on the back of MySpace, on the, music was a big part of MySpace. There were three charts on the back. I just click MySpace music, click it, and it would say unsigned, independent, um, mm. or major label signed artist. Uh, 
We were on the major label category, buried at the bottom. And I said to the band, I'm going to take these two songs, which we technically didn't own. Columbia still owned. I'm going to put them on the un- us on the unsigned category. Let this is the MySpace social media is the great democratizer of ideas and um, the world, you know, ultimately the world, let the world decide if this music is great or not. And if the world decides that these songs aren't great, I'm okay with that resignation. Otherwise, screw them. So we put apologize and stop stare on there. Within three months, we were the number one unsigned artist in the world. Wow. And we just flew up the charts. I remember Colby Calais bubbly to, to put a drop a pin in the time. She was number one, Colby Calais bubbly, who I knew really well. She was a 16 year old girl hanging around the studio up in um, thousand Oaks. When we were recording our demos, she was in the room all the time, just hanging out with us. Uh, she was friends with the engineer and the producer. And so she watched us record, apologize, stop and say like all those songs. So it was kind of funny. She's number one. And I texted her and I was like, Hey, you technically just got signed. Mm. You're assigned. I was like, Colby, I remember sitting there. I was like, I love you. I'm so happy for you, but you've been sitting at number one for five months in the unsigned category and you've been signed for the last four months. And so you asked her to, to get We're number there. two. I asked her, I was like, can you, can you, is there any chance you could just switch to sign so we could have a shot and ring, ring the bell? Amazing. He switches over and we go number one. And then every label called, um, including the label that dropped us. And at that point I still didn't think, you know, mm. I, I, I'm afraid to speak, um, absurd, uh, manifestations, you know, I might, even though I might think them. So, um, I remember telling my wife, uh, it's not going to work. Don't get hyped. Like I'm not, she's like, why aren't you more excited about getting a new record deal with Interscope? I was Mm. like, too much disappointment. And like, like I I was emotionally detached from that because, you know, failure is thick skin and the thicker your skin, the less you feel pain. So, um, that was the beginning of, beginning to embrace failure mm. and loving failure and loving um, failure. just flipping it on its head. Yeah. Loving failure and, oh, and yeah. flipping on its, on its head. Cause failure to me is um, that's like a, a version of that's jet fuel mm. for me. That's absolute jet fuel. I, it just depends on how you're wired, yep. but like the tuck tail and go home and sulk and complain and Oh my God, that's just, I'm not wired that way. So if I fail, I go, man, it's it, like how much better it's going to feel mm. when I win and these people see it. Like, it's like you watch that Jordan documentary, yeah. he would create false yes. um, scenarios in his mind. Somebody, somebody made a joke about my mom on the court last night and he would like tell himself that uh, to get him to ramp up the next yeah. day mentally. So I years ago lear- learned to take those failures. Someone telling me you're not a star. You'll never be a successful mm. lead singer. I still remember those words and who said them. Um, like good songwriter, but like will never sell as an artist and all these things. And, and people passing on bleeding love and telling me to my face, it's not a hit. Bleeding love is not a hit. Counting stars is not a hit. And so I take those things and it's just like adding, you know, like I said, it's like adding high octane jet fuel to, to, for me personally. And I go, cool. Like I'll, let's talk in a year. Let's talk in a year. You know, I can't wait to see you at some (laughs) random coffee shop. You know, when this song is a smash and, and I just smile, I'm not going to say, I told you so. Yeah. I'm just going to smile. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll remember. <clears throat> That's it. Um, exactly. The, I always, uh, you hear Tom Brady later in his career, when he was in his prime, he would say to the guys around me, Hey, nobody's given us a chance. Nobody believes in us. And I remember hearing that and saying, 
dude, what are you talking about? Everybody's giving you a chance, but to your point, you have to create those even when you're on top to keep yeah. that, you know, get, keep that hunger, kind of that walk on Underdog. mentality. You have, you have to, you have to create the, you have to live in an underdog bubble, mm. like, and keep that bubble intact. And that's the, that, that thing will keep you hungry and keep you pushing. The yeah. second you are smelling your own roses mm. and believe that you've, you've arrived, um, it does something funny to your brain. And it's just like, it, it's, uh, you're no longer, I mean, we're still all animals in a way, yeah. right? And the second a, the second a wildebeest gets comfortable, yeah. you know, uh, out in the plains is the second yeah. uh, someone, something's coming for it. So that's just mm. kind of the way I, I think of it. Okay. I want, I want to, you're being, being very generous with your, with your time. I want to ask a quick question. You've hit success. The four more questions. The first one is when you hit success, did it taste like you thought it was going to taste when that first pinch me moment happened? Did it taste like you always dreamed it would, or was it still, I still got to keep, I still got to stay hungry. Like, did you give yourself a moment to enjoy and savor that time when, whenever you hit? Yeah, it, I got, <laughs> I, uh, I got the drunkest I've ever been at an <laughs> Irish bar in Chicago with my band. And I happened to act like it's unfortunately run into a group of three or four Irishmen and, and a girl from Dublin in Chicago who, who knew who we were. We had just gone gold or platinum uh, with our first album, and and I had apologized. It was the number one song in the world. We broke every streaming re- or uh, airplay record. I knew at that point I was going to have more money than I knew what to do with, and I just remember that day, that day. So uh, specific, I'll, then I'll zoom out specifically. Oh, we knew. Yeah, we we definitely smelled the roses that day. Nice. The whole band. Uh, we had the. The, the funniest, m- most insane night ever in Chicago till four in the morning celebrating. Uh, do not go to, I'm like, I don't, getting drunk is, I, I absolutely avoid it at all yeah. costs uh, at these days, especially. Uh, but if you ever do have drinks, uh, do not have them with an Irishman. Do not, because they straight up, I'll never forget, they go, drinks on us, but you have to go toe to toe. And I said, oh man, I can, I can handle it. Nope. I, I, I was, no. It was horrible. So I was probably 28. Um, so uh, that ruined the next couple of days. But sure. zooming out, uh, I would say for, for probably about a six-month period, mm. I was extremely elated and grateful. At the same time, I was like, cool, I gotta, now I just got to do it again. Yeah. Like It was never yeah. about the money. Once I, once I made – I, I was doing well enough prior to apologizing those songs that, that I remember thinking – Again, we can buy the house. We can be comfortable. We can have a good life now. We can have kids. I can get, I can get, uh, you know, actually own a car. Yeah. Um, the money was 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 ancillary. It was really um, this is what I want to do for a living. Mm-hmm. But I love it so much. I want to keep doing it. So I did. I did stop and smell the roses. Um, but um, but then I got right back on yeah. the horse. I think I probably took off. As I recall, we were on tour. I took off like one or two, one or two, maybe one month on tour. And for the first time in four or five years just played video games. That was my celebration. Awesome. We were on the tour bus. We had an Xbox. I played Halo and, and Bond and all. I literally played video games because I love – that's like – if I'm really relaxing, yeah. I'm, I'm like playing you know, uh, Call of Duty or, or Assassin's Creed. And I played games for a month and I didn't do a song for one month because I'd been writing for seven, eight years nonstop. And that was my way of celebrating. I'm not writing this month. Mm-hmm. I'm playing games. Um, yeah. And so that's it. But then I w- went on to the next challenge and then, and then kept it moving. That's amazing. 
quick question. Obviously, we this is you know the R podcast is all about kind of inspiring people, giving them the tools to live out an intentional life. So we don't do many commercials at all for ourselves. But you, we've uh, you're an investor in RO. You were you were early on board with us, and I just would love to hear from you. What what is it about? What was it about the concept of RO that drew you into the idea, the concept, the business, and led you to a point of, of putting mm. a bit of money in? Um, I. The concept to me was RO is the physical manifestation of what we were already doing and practicing at our mm. home. So, um, you know, our kids have a uh, very capped limited screen time. Um, when, when I get home, um, you know, if my kids are talking to me, I'm not on the phone. Like we're, we're it's, it's, it's like when I walk into, um, meetings, if I'm at home, if I'm at a meal, uh, phone usually is either in the pocket or it's like face down, right? It's that that dopamine trigger when it lights sure. up. Ooh, who is it? Who, who is it this time, right? So um, our kids have limited screen time. Our kids, you know, I have a 13-year-old, 9-year-old, and he, he's, he probably thanks me, thanks me or his mom once, once a month or if not once a week for not letting him be on TikTok or Instagram wow. or any social media. And he's 13. He's the only friend he has that is not does not have an account. Um, <clears throat> our nine-year-old, obviously, Yeah, you know, we let him monkey around with YouTube shorts, but even that is like, you got 20 minutes yeah. in a day. Um, so we were already, um, you know, unfortunately for my line, I told, as I told you before we did the podcast, I said, I might be your worst person to have on because my line of work, I have to be accessible in real time. Most of the yeah. time, uh, it's not a 24, it's not a, uh, eight hour a day, 40 hour a week job. I have people hitting me. Um, you know, I have songwriters in London. I'll have mm-hmm. writers that are traveling around the world or in Australia and, um, artists that are, you know, Tate McRae, right. Yeah. Being in, in Berlin and going, Oh crap, I don't have the TV edit of greedy or X's and some, and then that could become, that could land in my text mm-hmm. thread. And then like Ryan, I know for sure Ryan has it and it's, 9.30 p.m. I'm getting ready for bed. Um, so I still have to be – that's part of like in, yeah. for, unfortunately in this line of work winning. Mm-hmm. And and they don't respect weekends because by the way, when I'm on tour, dude, I don't know what day it right. is. I have no clue what day it is. Like I get texts from Little Nas X like fairly consistently if I get a text from it. It's between 6 and 7.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Cause he just has weird hours. He has weird hours, man. Like se- he text me at 7am. WID, what are you doing? <laughs> are you around today? M- Miley Cyrus, same deal. Like, like, I, what are you doing today? I'm like, it's Sunday. Right. You know, Oh, cool. Are you, can you go into the studio today? Like, so that's, so remove me yeah, from sure. the situation. I'm not, I'm not wishing that on my kids mm-hmm. or my wife. So the, the, and I've, I've gotten, Hey, look, I, there's always room for improvement, but I've gotten really good at going like moving. It's like, it's just like a, a, a reaction. I walk into a place, I'm going to a dinner tonight with friends. Like I know that unless I'm physically in the bathroom, you know, we all yeah. do the same thing in the bathroom. Yeah. It's like standing at, standing at the urinal and you're like, Oh, what's going on? Um, although until you drop one in the urinal, which I've done, <laughs> no bueno. Um, but like, I'm, you know, and even to prove a point, I'll like sometimes, you know, leave, leave it face yeah. down. And even if I'm going to, to get water, go to the bathroom, I'm not bringing it mm-hmm. with me. Um, so I, I practice that in my yeah. own life. Um, 
as much as I can, we're way more regimented with our kids and our family. And we want mm. to know, we want people to know that when they're with us, they're with yeah. us and they're not, they're not partially with yeah. us, like that they're, that they're actually with us. And in this day and age, that is almost yeah. impossible. And when you have Apple watches now too, um, you know, that I love Apple watches. So I, and I wear them when, when it's useful and, um, but I, I can't do it at home because if I'm, I I just noticed after months and months, I'd be like, you can't, it's like, you know, check it. It's going off doing a thing. And it's like, then, then you're sitting around going, wait, do I have arrhythmia? Do I have hypertension? Do is my blood oxygen level? All right. You know, and it's like all this stuff, it's just too much. So everything is just too much. We got to tamp it down. So I think what you guys have built is it was just reflective of what we were already doing and doing slash attempting to yeah. do at home. And I can say that it's made a massive mm-hmm. difference um, with our kids. Uh, you know, our, the amount of reports we get from st- teachers, principals, m- parents of other uh, students, um, it, the, comment, the commentary we get is so consistent and so frequent yeah. about how mature, present, um, not triggered, not mm-hmm. reactive our kids are. And I see... Um, kids that come over and friends and it like literally breaks my heart who are so addicted to social media, the dopamine kicks, um, so addicted that they can't even hang out. Like, like, it's like you physically have to remove it from their hands to go be a kid, go outside. Here's a pool. Here's a Nerf gun, you know, like whatever, like just go exist. Don't like, like I saw this wonderful meme the other day I posted, it's like, obviously it was sarcastic, but it was uh, uh, Billy Eilish's uh, brother, Phineas, mm-hmm. who's a friend of mine, like posted this thing. And I, I repost a lot of his stuff because we have the same sense of humor. It was like, everyone make sure to get in as much screen time as possible right now, as much as you can, because when you're dead, you can't be on, on screen anymore. <laughs> and you'll wish you had spent more time so true. while you were alive. It's so true. We're going to miss it. I'm like, I'm butchering it, but you're going to miss it. Get as much screen time as you can now because when you're dead, there's no more screen time. (laughs) And it was like, oh my God, that is, that is the funniest. It's so accurate. Amazing. And and that's, I mean, that's our full circle moment from the beginning of the episode of, of you saying you were able to be a kid. You were able to find that passion inside of you. You were able to, to kind of figure those things out for yourself because you were bored because you didn't have those distractions because I mean, honestly, piano can't really compare to the dopamine hits you get with all that stuff that's being fed to you on TikTok because those are just so darn interesting, compelling. So this is that, that's that full circle. I, 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 yeah, I would say, I would, I would say that if you want, if you want your, if you, the 2024 way of, of, um, reinforcing positive behavior and, um, possibly not steering, but like helping guide or encourage what your kids want to do is I, I, you know, we're all animals and Pavlov's dog, uh, you know, that whole syndrome, that whole, um, methodology there's there's it's backed by reality yeah. reinforce positive behavior you know don't reinforce negative behavior so for us mm. it's like we cap screen time like crazy. a lot of parents just now they use it so their kids can check out and they don't bother them which is sad <laughs> but like we, we we have we have hardcore screen time on uh locked on our kids uh, devices right um our kid didn't get a phone till he was 13 uh, even that 
he was the youngest, yeah. the, the oh, for sure, the oldest friend he had without a phone. Um, we monitor everything that they see and do. We have so many, the, the, the amount of apps they can't touch is ridiculous. Um, and what I do is like, if our oldest or youngest is fascinated by something or curious or passionate about something, history, architecture, mm. music, then I will throw money at that. Yeah. Right? Like you, you, you're interested in music. Cool. Here's, I'm downloading logic for you and Ableton and you can access YouTube for tutorials. We will unlock it for this unlimited. Like you can dive into, you can dive into this rabbit hole as deep as you want to go. And I will reinforce it. I will help buy you the apps, the necessary equipment, the gear. Um, so when our kids are fascinated by something mm. and, and it's a healthy obsession, we will like all of a sudden that water hose that you're like, got your hand on, you're, you're like keeping it at a trickle with phone time, screen time, social media, all that. We'll go like that. Yeah. Right. And we'll pour the water on that. Right. Right. And, and, uh, and to, to me, that's like, I think the best way in, 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 you know, sports is obviously a good one. Athletic things is a great one. Our kids got into karate. Yeah. We got them a karate teacher. They do it four days a week now for two years. Wow. And, um, and our like you know our thirteen year old is in uh, infinitely better. Sh- I was in good shape. He, he's in the best thirteen year old shape I think you could be in. And and it's just because we're trying to like he might the kids might want to be interested in ten different things in a month. Nine of them are a waste right. of time. One of them though, one of them. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's pour some water mm-hmm. on that. You know, and and reinforce that a little bit. And then it's like reward again. Pavlov's dog. It's like okay you. You also kind of want more screen time and dopamine. Well, here's some YouTube videos and tutorials, and here's some, you know, documentaries and things that we will let you uh, watch because the internet is wildly powerful and super right. useful as long as it's used correct. Yeah. As long as it's used correctly, mm. Sc- screens are useful if they're used correctly. Um, like anything, uh, there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. But that's that's how we reinforce. I love it. Um, positive. I love it. Now. That's that's so strong. I appreciate you leading the way, man. Thank you for all of the, it's going to sound a little bit cheesy, but I mean it. Thanks for all the, not just your, your, uh, your presence, but the beauty you bring into the world, um, through the, the, your music, the music you, uh, allow other people to sing, you produce, that you write. Um, thank you for, for what you're doing. Thank you for using your God given abilities to, uh, to make the world better and more beautiful. Appreciate you brother. Uh, same to you, man. Uh, and I appreciate you and, uh, this has been fun. Koinonia. Yeah, man. Been a great time. Thank you, brother. Hey, I told you at the top of the show that was going to be a parenting masterclass, and it definitely was for me. And think about it, as busy as he is, still prioritizing and being intentional on the areas that are important for him, for his family, for his kids. And by the way, just a quick caveat, if you're watching this on YouTube, he was drinking a canned water, not a beer. It was 10 o'clock when we recorded, so I promise you he was not drinking a beer. He's sitting outside, got his sunglasses on with the sun hitting him in the face. What a great conversation. And I want to leave you with something that he said. Actually, two things. First thing he said, he said the 2024 way of reinforcing positive behavior is managing your devices. It's so true. That's This is the year we're in. We're in 2024. And that's how we reinforce the things we want for ourselves and for our kids. Then secondly, and this is just a good note for all of us, when we're with somebody else, with his family, he said, we want people to know that when they're with us, they're with us, not partially with us. It's a great note. It's hard to do that. 
but it's important to be cognizant of it and just make a little bit of a change. So today, for anybody listening, when you're with somebody next, do your best to be fully with them. Set your your phone aside. If you have an RO box, put your phone in RO. If you're not an RO member, just go put it away for just a second and be fully with that person. Hey, if you love this episode, will you give it five stars? Will you subscribe? Will you share? We would love that. We can't wait to see you again next week on the RO Podcast. The RO Podcast is produced and edited by the team at Palm Tree Podco. Special thanks to Emily Miles for video and digital support and to our executive producer, RO Zone, Caitlin Farley.